Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be speaking out of the book of Acts. Let's continue in our study. We'll be back in the book of Acts here this morning, chapter 15. Well, last week, if you recall from Acts chapter 14, we saw some crazy things happen with Paul and Barnabas. They're going along on their missionary journey, faithful to the Lord. They're going through Iconium and Lystra, and they escape. Threats for their life comes against them. Over to Derby, there's a stoning. Paul's stoned. Many people think he's dead. Many people today even say, you know, it could be very likely that Paul had died and that he was brought back to life. Either way, whether he did die or whether he was just stoned to the point where everybody took him for dead, when he got up and he said, I want to go back, I want to go back into that city, the work hasn't finished yet, we see in that an amazing man who's faithful to the calling of God on his life, who knew the work that he was called to and the fact that God was going to see him through it. And as they go back and as they do a great work, and specifically as they healed this man who was lame, lame from birth, a man who had never walked, wouldn't have had the nerve, the muscle tissue, anything that would have given him the ability to walk, let alone even the know-how, the knowledge to one foot in front of the other. I mean, this is something that he'd never done before, and they heal this man. Well, they're taken at this point for gods. In this culture where idols were worshipped, where gods, multiple gods with a lowercase g, were exalted above man. They thought them to be Zeus and Hermes. And of course, we see then Paul and Barnabas proclaiming to them, no, no, you're missing the point. This isn't about us. This isn't about what we've done. This is about God the Father in heaven. They proclaimed him the gospel. They saw many saved. And we read at the end of chapter 14 that they stayed with these individuals. They discipled them. They walked alongside them for a period of time to make sure that they understood the word of God. And it says in verse 25, Now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Ataliah. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. And now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. This was an incredible time in the history of the church that the door had been opened to the Gentiles. Of course, we've seen this now over the last several weeks as we see initially Peter involved in taking the message to the Gentiles, and we see for the first time Gentile believers. And many are encouraged and they're rejoicing over what God is doing and how the gospel message is going forth. But of course, as is often the case, when God is doing a great work, when new things are happening, there are times when individuals struggle with that change, with that transition, with what it is that God is doing. And we see that happen here as we see some conflict between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers and and what's required in the salvation of man. And that's what we'll enter into here at the beginning of chapter 15. So if you would, just as we go to his word, agree with me quickly in prayer. Father, we pause again here this morning. We thank you for the time we've already had to praise you, Lord, to worship and and to seek your will on behalf of a child of God. And Lord, as we continue in our study of your word, Lord, give us understanding of it. Speak to our hearts here this morning, Lord, for it is always our prayer that we leave here different, not the same as when we came in. Father, transformed, having a greater understanding of your word, your plan and purpose for our lives. And so, Lord, we ask for that here this morning, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so in chapter 15, verse 1, we read, And certain men 
came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So here we had certain men of Judea, as they were referred to. Who were these men that traveled from Judea all the way to Antioch to deliver this message? They were concerned. They wanted something to be done about these Gentile believers. We see in verse 5, it gives us insight that these were some from the sect of the Pharisees who believed. And so these were believers, these were Christians, but these were those who had come out of the sect of the Pharisees who were very zealous for the law and for the law of Moses. These weren't Jewish zealots who had come to the church to try and win these Gentile believers to Judaism. No, these were Jewish believers, fellow brothers who came to Antioch to try and, and in some ways make sense of this whole Gentile church thing. It had been 20 years roughly now since Pentecost. Remember, for us, it's been a matter of months. But for them, 20 years, I mean, the time goes fast through the Word of God. It's been almost 20 years now since the Holy Spirit first fell upon them. And here now there was great things happening within the Gentile church, but it was different. It was different than what they had seen before. The way in which they were coming to faith was different. What was required of them was different. And there were some who struggled greatly with the idea that these pagans were children of God, the same as them, without coming to the Lord through the law of Moses first. And so, in some respects, we can probably sympathize with these Jewish believers, just a little bit. You see, up until this point, Jews were Jews and pagans were pagans. If you wanted to worship the one true God, Yahweh, you became a Jew. And then their whole world was turned upside down by the Messiah, Jesus, the one who was promised. And at first, it seemed that he was undoing everything that they knew. And while in many ways he did, in fact, abolish the law, he also fulfilled it. He was in every way what the law could not accomplish through us, and that it was weak in the flesh. And as they then understood him to be the fulfillment of that, and that through him they could find their way to true forgiveness, justification, and righteousness, before a standard that they knew they could not keep, they began to understand who he was. But now here are these pagans who claim to know the same God, have the same spirit, but they don't know the law. They don't know Moses. They're not holding to the same traditions. You see why the Gentile had to come out of their paganism and, and let go of the things of the world. The Jew had to come out of religion and let go of their legalism. Both needed to repent. Both needed to repent of something. And this is a difficult thing to do at times, is it not? There was tradition. There was routine. There was familiarity. The bottom line is that change is hard. Even when it's good change, change that is spirit-led. But God forbid you ever be the one who is standing in front of the open door that the Lord has created for his word to go forth. And that's what they were at risk of here. 
while well-intentioned, these men were looking not only to limit the work of the Spirit, but they were also seeking to bring the believer back under the law, the law that Christ had freed them from. They were adding to the gospel and limiting the work of the cross. Warren Wearsby says this, they were attempting to mix law and grace and to pour the new wine into the ancient brittle wineskins. They were stitching up the rent veil and blocking the new and living way to God that Jesus had opened when he died on the cross. Luke chapter 5, verses 36 through 39 is where we have Jesus give us this parable. And he says, when he spoke to them in a parable, no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says, the old is better. This is our mentality, so often when it comes to change. The way we used to do things is better. The old way is better. And these men were seeking to undo exactly what it was that Jesus had come to accomplish. Jesus did not come to repair the Jewish institution. He didn't come to say, let me tweak a few things here so that we can just get this right. He didn't come to patch it up. He didn't come to put something new into old vessels. He came to create something new, and that was the church. Jew and Gentile together. We today are a part of what Jesus came to accomplish, to establish the church. That the gospel of Jesus Christ would go forth in such a way that all who profess His name would come together and worship. Yet in their desire to hang on to tradition and their past, they were adding to the gospel. And again, they were limiting the work of the cross. Notice that again in verse 1, it says, Unless you do this, you cannot be saved. Unless you do what? Repent and believe? No, they said repent, believe, and. They added an and in there. That was the problem. You see, there is no believe in Jesus and for salvation. That teaches that the cross is not enough. Salvation does not equal Jesus plus something else. Salvation equals Jesus. As you profess Him, you profess His name, the belief in Jesus Christ, faith in Him is salvation. Nothing else required. Now, there is fruit of salvation. There are things that come after that. Your desire, your heart should change. But to believe Him and to believe in His work upon the cross, that is the stipulation. And the damage that is done when new stipulations are put upon new believers, when they're told that you need to do this and you need to do this, or you can't be this if you don't do this, it's incredibly damaging. And what these things are, it's legalism. It's religious pride. These are preferences, denominational distinctions, the prideful works of our own hands, the things that we look to incorporate into our own salvation experience that's damaging and even borders on heresy at times. Paul gives us a description of what was happening in this letter to the churches, and, and we see it, remember, where they're at at this time or where they'd been ministering was throughout the region of Galatia. And so I've mentioned a couple of times his letter to the Galatians, and so we see some of what's described in Acts, we see Paul address in his letter to the Galatians. And in verse 6 of chapter 1, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, 
But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches to you another gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. He was addressing there at the very beginning of Galatians the fact that some of them were falling victim to this other gospel that was not a true gospel because things were being added in. And so, as the word tells us, there was no small dissension. I love how they word that there. I love how Dr. Luke says there was no small dissension. What he's saying there was, there was some trouble at this point. They were about to throw down, okay? Why? Because Paul and Barnabas had been out on this missionary journey. They had seen these Gentile believers, these Gentiles who had come to the Lord, and the last thing they wanted was for the gospel to be corrupted, for it to be perverted, for there to be legalism, bondage, that they were freed from to be put back on these believers. And so, yeah, they were ready to throw down over because they said, there's no way we're going to let you do that to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need that kind of passion today. We need people to stand for the truth today. When we hear false teaching out there, we need to say no. Because if you are a strong believer, if you know the Word of God, and you're not easily led astray, then praise God for that. If you're being a good Berean and you go back and you search the Scriptures, you seek to understand what they say, then then praise God for that. But what we need to be really concerned about is not necessarily the false teachers that are out there, because they'll have their day, but the innocent ones that are being led astray. That's what we need to be concerned about and passionate about. And that's what Paul and Barnabas were feeling, was we're not going to let you lead them astray. And so in verse 6, now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Remember, Peter had been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He was the first to proclaim the gospel to the Jews and then to the Samaritans and then to the Gentiles. He was influential. God used him during this time. And so he's trying to remind them, remember? Remember when we went and preached the gospel? Then he said that the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. You see, there was much dispute over this issue. They debated it. But nevertheless, they came together to discuss it. And that's a beautiful thing that we see here, that the apostles and the elders, they came together. They came together to discuss these things, to work through it. And the church should be a family. That is what we strive to be. And you know what? At times, we tick each other off, right? We have debates. We have frustrations. But we need to come together and we need to work through it the way that they did. They were all believers but they were misguided on some things. We need to work through that to come to a place of agreement, agreement that is rooted in the Word of God and truth. And they were working towards that as Peter shared what had happened, as he spoke and reminded them of what God had done. And he reminds us too that it's God who knows the heart. He knows yours and he knows mine. In many ways, we praise him for that and and we possibly think too like, oh, oh goodness. He knows my heart, deceitfully wicked, betrays me all the time, and he knows it. He knows the heart. He knows right where we're at this morning. And just like when God opened 
the door for the gospel to go to the Gentiles. It's still open today, and he can purify your heart through faith, through belief. You see, Peter was saying to them, just like he had in his earlier sermon, when the Gentiles were first saved, he was saying, how can we deny it? You say they need to follow the law of Moses. You say they need to be circumcised. He says that the Holy Spirit came upon them. How can we look past what God has done? They have the Spirit too, and and they have the Spirit by simply believing, not doing all these other things. And, you know, we need to repent of religious pride. We need to stop trusting in our own works. There's likely someone here today who's in bondage to religion, to tradition, to the way things used to be, and you want to put that same yoke on somebody else because you're so rooted in that that you want that on other people. And we need to repent of that. There's likely someone here today, you're trusting in the works of your own hands. You're thinking you're a good person. You're going to figure it out. You're going to work hard. And you know, that could be true in a variety of different ways, but the reality is you're focused more on yourself and what you have to do, and it's burdening you. Regardless of where you are, we all need to remember that no one is justified by the works of the flesh, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it is about. And so we read in verse 10, now, therefore, why do you test God? By putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Peter now reminds them of their experience with the law. Oh, you want them to be circumcised. You want them to come under the law of Moses, do you? Well, let's think about how well that's gone for us. It was a burden that no one could bear. Think back to the people of ancient Israel. Think back when the law first came down with Moses from the mountain. What were they doing in that very moment? They were partying. They were living it up, worshiping a golden calf. Hey, melt all the gold down. Let's make a golden calf and let's bow down to it. You see, that's our hearts. That's how dumb we are sometimes. At the very beginning. And then fast forward throughout the history of Israel. Time and time again. We're back. We're under the law. We're doing things great. Oh, here we go again. Back to the world. And then we're back again. And then we go to the world. And it's just back and forth, back and forth. This constant cycle. All the way to the very end in Nehemiah. What happens in Nehemiah? It goes to reestablish it again. They read the law. They get back on track. They build the wall. He leaves them. Nehemiah says, great. Whew, got these people back on track. They're going. He's gone for only a short period of time. Comes back to the land. And it's, it's off the rails again. There's constant cycle of returning to the law and then wandering away. And this is the same cycle for those who are stuck in religion and haven't yet had their hearts transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, the law is not a relationship. It's law. It's legalism. A relationship with Jesus Christ transforms. doesn't mean we get it perfect. doesn't mean we still don't have those times in our lives where we screw it up. But it's different. And you see, there is one good thing about the law, and this is what the law was intended to be used for, is that it helps us to see when we're wandering away. The law isn't there such that, that we could keep it, that we could, we could abide by it, but rather that it helps us to see the standard that God has. It helps us to see our sin. Galatians chapter 3, verses 21 through 29. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. See, the law couldn't give life. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, 
kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is grace. You see, under the law, we're all condemned. Why? Because we couldn't keep it. We couldn't live by it. Just try it. I dare you. And this isn't me compelling you to come under the law, okay? But just see how it goes. Try for the next week. Keep all 613 laws. You'll make it out of the building. I mean, truly, it takes a lot of effort. Certainly not going to lunch anywhere, at least conveniently, here on Two Notch. 613 laws. The law, though, is God's standard. It's what we're judged by. And so in light of that, would we be innocent or guilty? Guilty. Then if we're guilty before God, do we deserve heaven or hell? Hell. Well, I'm a really good person. No. Because actually you're not. If we really search our hearts, we know we're not. And that's not a message of condemnation. That's the reality of who we are in the flesh. But Jesus, who paid the price for our sin, faith, faith has come. And we're no longer under the law. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we become his heirs. You see, now we can look to him and we can say it's because of you. And we're no longer under the law. And now this is wonderful, you might say. For now I have freedom in Christ. I can do what I want, knowing that I'm saved, and and I don't need to be so burdened now by all the things that we're not supposed to do, right? We need to hold on for a second here. Because as we see then, James now stepping up, he says in verse 12, then all the multitude kept silent. That was a miracle in and of itself. And listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, verse 13, James answered. This is James, the brother of Jesus, who is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He had great authority, and he now speaks up after he's listened to them. And he says, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophet agree, just as it is written, After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up. And and what he's recognizing here is that the Jewish system had fallen. And God was rebuilding something. He was rebuilding and creating the church. This is what was being built at this time. And so he says in verse 17, So that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who does all these things. Known to God from eternity, all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. What James is saying here is that we're not going to trouble the Gentile believers. Those who are turning to God by putting the yoke of bondage on them, we're not going to trouble them with our traditions. Yes, we are no longer under the law, and there is freedom in Christ. But on the flip side here, that freedom is not a license for sin. And furthermore, there's still a certain level of respect warranted amongst believers when it comes to convictions. And so what James is trying to get to here is he said there needs to be balance. 
Now, we're not going to get into the specifics of what James was addressing here. Some of you may look at this and think, things strangled and things with blood and what? There's some wisdom in this, and there's a very good understanding of this, and we'll get into that next week. But what he's addressing here, the point that we can take away from this today, the heart of what James was getting at here, what's most important is captured well by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, when Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You see, while some things may be lawful for you, it does not mean that they are beneficial for you or for the body as a whole. And for that reason, you should abstain from them. Some may say, wait, you mean I need to withhold something from myself to support another? Yes. In some cases, absolutely. And I'm here to tell you today that if you don't like that or you think that's unfair, then that's a heart issue and you need to have your heart checked. Because that's what being a family of believers is all about, is recognizing. This is what was happening here. You've got the Jewish tradition, the believers who came out of Judaism, and you've got the Gentiles. Very different backgrounds, but now they're together. Now they have to wrestle and reconcile. We're believers. We're brother and sister. We're going to spend eternity together in heaven. The rest of the day would not give us enough time for each and every one of us here to stand up and talk about our backgrounds, our beliefs, our traditions, the things we've come out of. But we're here. We're about to partake of the Lord's Supper together, us together as a family, looking to Jesus Christ, focusing on his body, his blood, and how it makes us one. James said in verse 21, for Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. And what James was saying, he's saying, hey, Gentile believers, you have brothers and sisters in the Lord who are Jewish believers. Help a brother out. Be sensitive. Be sensitive to the things that they struggle with. If you know someone struggles with something, if you know someone is convicted in a particular area, don't make it harder for them. And vice versa, if you're convicted in a particular area, don't try to bring someone else under your conviction. There are certain things we see very clearly within the Word of God, and then there's other things that God has just worked in our own lives on. We need to, as recipients of grace, show grace to one another. And that's what this is all about. This is what James is encouraging them to do here. As we prepare to take communion here shortly, think about what a great day it is for for communion. And it's always a great day for communion. But in light of this particular message, the reality of our communion table being open for all who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. In a world that's marred with the sin of mankind, where tensions of race and gender and religion and and anything else that is polarizing where it abounds. Those things abound. Those things have permeated our culture. It's what we see everywhere we turn right now. Yet here we are together this morning, and we rejoice in the great reminder that we have in Galatians 3 verse 26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's a beautiful thing for us to celebrate here this morning. The body of believers coming together and rejoicing that we have unity in Jesus Christ. Our world and its leaders are searching for something, a unifying power that can bring this world together. And they're all looking past the one thing that will. And that's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus who we remember, who we proclaim, who we look to 
as we take of the communion elements. But as we do, it's important that we do so with pure hearts. Hearts that have been transformed by faith. And so I have three questions for you this morning. Bow your heads and close your eyes. And I have three things that I want to put before you. The first of which is foundational and most important. Do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? If you don't today, if this is you and you don't know Jesus Christ, you've not surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, maybe you say, hey, I prayed a prayer a long time ago, but, but I've not been walking with the Lord. Well, then today is the day of salvation. And I, I would ask you, I would beseech you, surrender today. Simply pray, Heavenly Father, I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. And I look to you, the one true God. I look to Jesus Christ, in whom I find forgiveness. And I proclaim that he died for me and rose again, that his blood which was shed, it washes me anew. And I invite Jesus Christ into my life today to rule and to reign. Forgive me, Lord, for my sins and help me to walk with you all the days of my life. Just continue to pour out your heart to him and and surrender to him. Tell him what's on your heart, what's on your mind. That today, perhaps, you could take communion for the first time as a believer in Jesus Christ. The second thing I want to pose here is, do you need to repent of your own religious pride? Far too often, we we bring people under the law of the modern church. And as recipients of grace, we fail to give it our preferences and our particular way in which we like to do things. We we try and bring people under that. And and maybe you're one who knows, I need to show grace. Take that before the Lord today. And finally, maybe you're here and, and, and you need to repent of using God's grace as license to sin. Maybe you've taken the freedom that you have in Christ and failed to recognize your impact on your brothers and sisters. I want to remind everyone that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's conviction. And so if you feel conviction today, then give that to the Lord and say, Lord, show me, teach me. For as we prepare to take communion, we need to do so in a worthy manner, having examined our own hearts. Allow the Lord to search your heart. Surrender to him today. Lay before him what's on your mind and on your heart and allow him to work. Father, we thank you for this day you've given us. We thank you for your word. Lord, your, your word of grace and mercy and truth, Lord, that, that reminds us, Father, of who we are and who we can be in Christ. That the bondage of the law, the bondage of our own self-worth, those who are, who are striving so hard to accomplish things on their own, that all of these things, Lord, we can be free from when we surrender to you. And so, Lord, may that message of grace and truth resonate within our hearts here today. And we know that as children of God, Lord, we've been, we've received your mercy. Lord, you've withheld from us what it is that we deserve, the punishment that we deserve. And beyond that, Lord, then you've blessed us in ways that we haven't deserved. So Lord, may your grace and your mercy be so evident to us here now as we prepare our hearts for communion. As we sing to you, Lord, may that be the cry of our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.